Hey, it's Jason with the Marketing Podcast Network. As a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. Isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn ads empower marketers with solutions for you and your customers. LinkedIn ads allow you to build the right relationships, drive results, and reach your customers in a respectful environment. On LinkedIn, you'll have direct access to and build relationships with decision makers. Of the 875 million users on the network, 180 million are senior-level executives, 10 million are C-level executives. You will also be able to drive results with targeting and measurement tools built specifically for B2B, and they work. Audiences exposed to brand messages on LinkedIn are six times more likely to convert. LinkedIn Ads is also ranked number one for security, community, and ad experience as part of Business Insider's Digital Trust Study. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash MPN and claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply. Content marketing, SEO, competitive research, advertising. Sounds like a large scope of work you need to get done. How about full digital marketing control over your business? SEMrush can be your right hand for that. It has over 50 tools and reports to cover any online marketing activities. No more switching from one service to another. Get a 14-day free trial and watch your business grow. Go to bit.ly slash SEMrushMPN. That's B-I-T dot L-Y bit.ly slash S-E-M-RushMPN. I always tell people, I started with five people in a room and loved up on them, and they brought their friends, and then that's how I grew. <laughs> so it didn't get to where... Uh, and I built the muscle over thousands of tries. So I'm just as happy. I still do meetups right now, monthly. Like you like you said, it's through Zoom. We have a great time, but I don't care if 12 people show up. I'm going to put on the show. You're listening to the business of podcasting. And on this show, we focus on the money side of podcasting. Some of the top industry experts come on the show to tell us how they have monetized their shows. This means you get access to real stories and real life strategies that have benefited podcasters for the last 10 to 15 years. You also get access to solo content where you learn how to monetize your own show and you learn really in-depth strategies to make money from your podcast. So if you want to monetize your podcast, subscribe now. On today's episode, we have very special guest, Chris Kremitzos, and this is one of my older episodes I did a couple of years ago, actually, but it was such a great conversation about how podcasters need to build community. And I think this is something that every host can learn from. Like no matter where you are, if you're a beginner, if you're kind of experienced or if you're advanced, having a community is that thing that will take you to the next level in terms of generating revenue and really generating opportunities too. because a lot of the money comes from knowing the right people and being top of mind and solving problems and stuff. But you need the people you need the people. So this episode is all about building community, whether it's to events or attending events or speaking at events. You'll learn a lot from this episode. Everyone, please welcome special, special guest, Chris Kremitzos. I had the pleasure of being a speaker at PodFest in March of 2020, right before COVID hit. I think it might have been the last event <laughs> of, of the year of everybody being in the same place. And I have to say it was one of the best events. It was the best event I've ever been to because the culture is something you can feel when you walk in the room. And I just got to say, Chris, I appreciate being a part of something so big and welcome to the show. No, thanks for having me. And thanks for being part of our community. It's uh, it takes a lot of energy and effort to make sure that we all feel kind of included in the experience. And I'm just grateful that 
you felt that. And at the same time, I know you'll agree. It was a weird way to go. Like, a, like we were all at a high of high cause we're at a show. It's exciting. And then we all go home and <laughs> in like 48 hours, it's like everything shut down. It was kind of, it was a weird ju- juxtaposition for a lot of us. Yeah. It's, especially for me because I flew from Seattle to Orlando. So I had to like go back across the country to kind of, just see how opposite it was when I landed here. That's kind of when it had started because it was so bad here in uh, Washington state that it was like an immediate switch. Like, Hey, you can't go outside. I'm like, I was just with hundreds, thousands of people in a hotel for a weekend. Uh, so it was a big shift. So with you, how did you get into the events for podcasting? Like how did, because I think podcast is one of the biggest in the world now. Like how did this come to be? Well, so I'll just give you the the Reader's Digest on events. So in my late 20s, I was always getting into business. I was like um, a serial entrepreneur from a little kid. So I've I've tried a lot of different businesses from the time I was like like 13. I could trace it back of like buying and selling and and, and just transacting. So um, in my late 20s, I had like a, a period of time where I had money and I was miserable. And I was like, okay, this is not making me happy. So I was like, I took six months off and I was single and I was like, let me figure out what do I want with my life? You know? And one of the things I realized was I really love being around people. I grew up in a big fat Greek family. So very communal, like very family orientated. I didn't realize it till I left. Like I left New York. So you don't realize what you have sometimes till you don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so then I realized like when I was in Florida, I was like, wow, I don't have a family. My family is all up in New York, you know? And, um, I realized I wanted that, but then I said, okay, well, if I could reconstruct my family and just take the best parts of it <laughs> and that, cause you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I, you, we could call it dysfunction, but I'll just call it very lovingly. A lot of different things that go on with yeah. the big family. <laughs> um, I said, okay, well, I want to, I want to create a structure where people don't tell you what you can't do. Like that was one of my rules. Like they empower each other. They, don't necessarily judge. And and if they do judge us, they have an open mind to think differently and to want to like push each other further, if that makes sense. So I want to create that environment. So believe it or not, Chris, in my late twenties, I said, okay, I love entrepreneurship. I love being around business people. I love being around creative minds. So I created a community at that time and it grew to the largest in Tampa, the city that I moved to. Um, and I sold it. And one of the workshops we did, was around podcasting in 2013. And then I started Ooh. building the podcast community. So like you picked up, you're a very intuitive marketer. You picked up that I'm, I have a skill set at building communities and via live events or virtual yeah. now too. So that's my skill set. And I know that your questioning was like right on to, to zero in there. That's kind of what I've been really good at. So I've done over 2000 live events and Jeez, that's, we're doing wait, quite wait, a few wait. virtual 2, events. 2000? That's... I thought I did a lot. Like I had my first event, um, a live in-person event in 2018 in LA, right across the street from Staples Center. I had like seven people there and it was one of the best feelings of my life because I set everything up, did all the teaching. It was like a masterclass. It was amazing. It was an amazing feeling. So I can only imagine how I felt for you to go from zero to 2000 events, man. That is a lot. 
So, yeah, so when I was, so after that realization, I call it standing in the silence. Every day for six months, I asked myself the question, what do you want out of your life? Like life is really short. And I had lost a mentor a few years prior. So I had lo- I've lost quite a few people I love er- earlier in my life. So I was very conscious of like, um, like I don't compete with people. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I, I want everybody around me to do well. So I don't see that as competition. And I, I don't get jealous because I've killed that uh, emotion. So it, when certain things pop up, I actively uh, uh, prune them out of my existence. So I'm like very um, conscious about how I want to live my life. So I like seeing people do well. And um, when I came to that realization, I want to do live events. I created that business community. But what I realized at the time, remember, I'm in Florida and this was 08, 07, 08. Real estate was was what? Everybody, 80% of my members were people that were in the real estate industry. Real estate crashed. So I lost 80% of my members. So now you're like, how do I fill this gap? And just like you, I'm a marketing guy. I love marketing. Like I, I can't, you, if I'm with someone that to talk marketing, we could talk all day long. Like I always love marketing ideas. So I said, hey, social media is new. There's this thing called Twitter. There's this thing that just came out a couple of years ago called YouTube. So I started teaching classes about social media I mean, I remember when Facebook ads first came out and I was trying them out and I couldn't spend money because no one knew to click on the right side of the screen. So like I've been (laughs) testing stuff forever. When Spotify came out with their ad platform uh, last June, about a year ago, I started testing it. So I've always tested stuff uh, and I've always been on the cutting edge because I love doing that. So that those, those, I did a meetup. I got on meetup.com and I said, okay, I'm going to just create a meetup at a restaurant to teach people about social media. Well, you realize like, no one knew anything back then about social media. But if you're a marketer, you thought everybody knew about social media. And you realize, like, not everybody thinks like a marketer. Every, people don't yeah. know what they don't know. So uh, Village Inn is a local breakfast place up here. I, I would rent out the back room, basically, as long as I had, like, 20 people eating. That was my rent. And I would charge five bucks a head. And the meeting got so big, Chris, we had – so I, I started with, like, three, four people, like you said. like, And I was happy to have three, four people. But it got right. so big, we – we had 50 people showing up and I was like, okay, let me create meetups in Tampa Bay, just like a lot of city regions. There's a lot of different pockets, right? So I was like, we'll do one in in uh, Clearwater. We'll do one in Brandon, all these geographics. So I had four meetups. I created four, four different leadership groups to run them for me. And then I would go from each night of the week for five straight years. I had an event going on four to five times a week, every week for five years. To the point where five years in, there was like a holiday and I forgot and I scheduled something on a holiday. So I showed up to the restaurant. No one was there. And they're like, hey, dude, today is whatever holiday. And I was like, oh, crap. I had no clue about holidays. I was just work every day. And I went home. I had just um, started dating my wife. You know, we lived together. I went home and I said to her, it's five o'clock. And I said to Katie, I go, there's something wrong. She goes, what? I go, there's people outside and they're like walking their dogs. They must not be going to work. And she goes, it's five o'clock, you moron. I go, what, why am I moron? She goes, all of America comes home at five o'clock and they walk their dogs. I realized I was a little bit out of balance for five years. I hadn't been home before <laughs> 9 p.m. because all my meetings were after hours. Oh, man. And so I, I had to adjust it. after that moment. <laughs> right? <laughs> you had I thought everybody was messed up. <laughs> it, 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 it's beautiful, though, because it's like you were so in tune of what, you're, what you wanted to do. Yes. yeah. Like, and this is even confirmation for me because I had that one event last year and um, 
even before COVID, actually before PodFest, I had a, a meetup here in Seattle, just at the library. I had like eight podcasters come out there and I was teaching them different things. And I'm like, wow, this is something I really want to do. And COVID has kind of slowed things down, but I want to get into more events myself and not necessarily large events, just master classes to teach re- really specific things. So what's one piece of advice you have for the podcasters out there that want to do events that will help grow their show? Well, first off, they got to set some expectations. And I see, I, I know you're, you're a marketer, so you get this when I'm about to say. Some people want 100 people overnight showing up at a, at a library or whatever. And okay, luck of the draw, it might happen one out of 100 times. That's not how events, like when you're starting out, unless you have a huge following, that's just technically, it doesn't work that way. Um, so I would just say like, hey, set an expectation of 10 people. You know, like something that you think is attainable. If you have a big audience, maybe it's 50. I don't know, whatever it is. Set the expectation and be happy with whoever shows up and treat them like gold. So one of the, this is a cardinal sin that a lot of beginning promoters do. Let's say in their head, they expected 50 people to show up. Okay. 10 people show up. The first thing they wind up doing is they apologize for not having more people. You just Mm. told the 10 people in the room that they're not important. So like you never want to do that because you just told the 10 people that you value quantity over quality. So that's one thing I have never done. If I had, I remember once we had something scheduled on Veterans Day and I didn't know. And normally the, that weekly meeting would get 35, 40 people and we had 11. And I remember adjusting my expectations of like, okay, I'm going to treat these 11 like gold because I'm just as happy for 11 than I was for 40. So they all said the same thing. Chris, what happened to everybody? There's something about people in group think they always like evaluate, like what happened? Like, is it bad or good? (laughs) So as a marketer, you have to always reframe it for them and saying, what happened was, you know, I'm always very like honest, uh, like, Hey, I forgot that. Unfortunately, today's a holiday. So first I want to honor the veterans in the room and the people understand what we're at. But the other thing I said is we have 11 people. Do you know, do you guys know what that means? They all looked at each other. I go, what that means is we get to spend really quality time together and go deeper than we ever have before. I still have some of the best relationships from that meeting of making the intention of going deep and not worrying about where the other 30 people are. And, and I, I know you came to podcast. We had 2000 registered attendees this past year. I always tell people I started with five people in a room and loved up on them and they brought their friends. And then that's how I grew. (laughs) So it didn't get to where, uh, and I built the muscle over thousands of tries. So I'm just as happy. I still do meetups right now, monthly, like you, like you said, it's through zoom. We have a great time, but I don't care if 12 people show up. I'm going to put on the show and we're going to have a good time. Oh man. I love that. And again, this is kind of like confirmation for me. um, Cause when I had that event in LA uh, a couple years ago, those same seven people that showed up, they still follow me right now. We still converse consistently. They even built their businesses. Some of the things we talked about and I bought their products. So like, I think that's what those great communities are built on is those relationships one-to-one. And then the great communities are what help you have a great podcast you know, it's like we have a great community. That's actually going to help you build that platform for your show. It works together. Uh, my, my wife started, she was one of the first uh, business podcasters for women. Biz Women Rock was her show. And she never got like 
when she started, all those people that started with her all wound up getting like thousands of people. Because we're talking about back in the day where there wasn't enough content on the platform, which is a whole different thing. But I remember she would always be like, oh, man, look at all these people. I said, Katie, just be you and don't worry about it. And she she was she would be very vulnerable, very um, honest with her audience. So then I can tell you, Chris, there's when Katie would mention something that she believed in, her people showed up. Now, how do we know like how that I've seen other people with audiences 10 times the size of Katie and they couldn't pull the same audience. And it just it's all in like how deep are those relationships? The, the thing a lot of people don't measure is influence. So power is, I have money and I have power. I could buy power with money, right? Or, but yeah. influence is, how many people trust me to listen to me? Like, how, like, influence is a very unique thing. Like, someone tomorrow could be the head figure of a city or whatever because they get elected, right? So there's part of that is they have power because they won an election. But then you have people in the room, they don't have any title and everybody listens to them. They're, they're very influential. So I, I've, I've always understood that I didn't always understand actually how, uh, inc- how powerful my influence was. It took me years to understand that. But when you understand the difference, you understand how they intersect and how to, how to utilize them for the, the, the betterment of the people you're working with. And not every um, influencer has the same level of influence with their audience. And mm. it really varies. So uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, for instance, I featured him when he first was up and coming in 09. Like no one knew who he was. I had to put censored on the banner because he was the first speaker to ever curse <laughs> on stage. Like he changed the way speaking is done professionally. Before that, corporations would lose their mind if you said the S word, which is nothing now. Like, you know, so um, he he has influence in a very broad sense. But I could also tell you about a podcaster that has millions of listeners but it's two different kinds of influence. If Gary tells you, Hey, this tech company or this thing is going to be the next big thing, or I would watch this. Guess what? There's a lot of people listening to what he's saying. You might have someone else has millions of people and they might not, they might have influence in a a small little area. So you got to understand how that plays out and quantity does not dictate your influence. Um, Some of the most influential people that come to PodFest don't even have a podcast and they'll mention it on their Facebook wall and they'll have 50 people show up because we track everything. And I'll be like, who is this person? And I'll look and they're just an influential people. And they're they're like the person in the neighborhood that helps everybody. They're like, could be the PTA mom, but that's the person everybody listens to in that neighborhood. And when they put out on their Facebook wall that they're going to podcast, 10 other people I were thinking about podcasting show up. And I'm like, that's incredible because it's like that person doesn't even have a freaking show and they're getting, they're pulling more more sales and someone that's blasting their list. So it, it's interesting <laughs> to see how that plays out. Man, that is that influence is really important. Uh, and I think for me, I think if you have a certain type of show, it's easy to do the do events to really grow your show, grow your platform. Uh, but I think events are one of those different marketing strategies that a lot more podcasters should look into because it helps you really grow the platform. Um, when I just mentioned that, Hey, I'm going to start doing events here in Seattle. I'm going to, you know, start setting things up here and there. So many people reached out to me and I got to speak at, uh, on a panel last year in October. And this is almost a year ago now. And people are still following me from that one event. So I think events are definitely a different way that podcasters can really build their platform and kind of take a step away from the usual audiogram stuff and trying to market on social media. 
It's a, I would 100% agree for obvious reasons, but even now with virtual, you could do virtual webinars and you, people could register and, um, but events, you know, physical events are really special. So um, you forget that people like from the community will come out and think about this. Sometimes you go to an event, right? And you show up and Chris, let's say you're speaking. You might be the only person I follow. Like I might not even follow anyone social. I just came out because <laughs> I saw this event. Like people don't understand that. Like some of these people, they're not like us where they're watching everything. They're not even paying attention. They go to your event. Now you're the only person they follow. So in their circle, you're the most influential person for that niche or that podcast. And they know you as that person. So that's what, um, I mean, that's how I built my entire career. Like people always ask me, Man. how do you get so many people to your events? I've had thousands of at-bats helping like individuals on the street level. So when I speak, people listen. Man, that is, that is powerful. And so let me ask you this, when it comes to events for a podcaster, we, we talked about expectation, things like that. What about, you know, the logistics of it, you know, and I, let's say this is post COVID, everything is back to normal. Um, what should podcasters expect in that area as far as getting the venue and food and all that stuff? Because I know that that's something, just the thought of that stops a lot of people from planning their events. So I'll give you like three different avenues to go. There's three really cool, I've learned a lot because I actually had a show I did for a while asking other event producers kind of their their niche, like how they did stuff. So the... Um, the first thing is if you want no stress, like you want to keep it simple, go like, I think you mentioned this local library, they'll even promote it for you. Um, then they'll set everything up. Obviously there's probably no food allowed in the library. People can bring their drinks. So you don't even have to worry about food. Depending on the library, some of them have entire rec centers where they could do whatever, but uh, that seems to be a safe bet. Let's say the library for whatever reason doesn't want you to have it because some libraries are like, oh, he's promoting his brand or she's promoting the podcast. We don't want promotion. Um, and that does happen. I've had that happen. Uh, you then could go to a local restaurant. Uh, you know, I, I like to go to the ones where it's not really stressful. Make sure you got to go visit the site, make sure there's no noise, how to find those. If you go to meetup.com, they actually have suggestions of venues that people use in your city. So that's probably the easiest way to look like you could even try and create a meetup and type in letters and the different venues will pop up like already pre-filled because they know where people are having events so or you could just go look at other meetups and see where they're holding those events so you know which ones are the venues that are open to you having events some of those restaurants will say hey if you could get me 20 people that eat dinner or whatever i'll give you the back room some of them don't even care others are like i we have a hundred dollar minimum so what i would tell you is book your event and just know that you'll spend a hundred bucks worst case scenario to test which is it's, it's worth the hundred dollars if you want to go a little higher end and like do like educational, like at a hotel, I would do the brands like a Hampton Inn. Some of them, they're not built for conventions. So that's who you want to deal with because they have like a small little conference room. Really small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the ones where you could get it for like a couple hundred bucks. A lot of times they might have a little, you could bring in food because they don't care about food and beverage. So that's a nice little hack if you want to go hotel and look good and you're going to put up your, your you know, um, signage. Um, the other, if you want to go like really high end and look really good, you could find like a really big house and rent it out for the weekend, like an Airbnb mm. model. So let's say it costs you a couple grand. Now you might do like an event that's a hundred dollars a ticket and you know that you need 20 people to break even, but here's the deal. If those people show up and you're putting on a show that looks amazing and you're in this multi-million dollar mansion, 
for whatever reason, if you have a backend product or you have a service that you'd like to pitch, you're going to convert much better because of, uh, you know, one thing, I, I, it took me a while to learn because I'm a very, um, I'm not a materialistic person. Like I don't like yeah. things and, and I'm not knocking anyone does just, I'm not, a, I'm not gravitating. So I didn't realize how important images from events. I know it's going to sound really basic, <laughs> but I was more, I was more focused on breaking even so I could have some money to take home to mama, you know, tell Katie, Hey, we got some money. Cause she got tired of me saying like, next week next year we'll make money because <laughs> events you could easily lose money but signage is so important if you're looking to build a brand um this is the advice i don't give this for most other businesses but if you're doing a live event where people see you i would rather you invest money and lose money on your first couple of events not a lot of money to look good in mm. the beginning because that'll help you build long term um so image is is really important for events because remember an event is is your brand so yeah. when i walk into that venue i'm gonna i'm gonna evaluate you based on your signage if you have uh av set up a lot of these places already have av which is good if they don't you know i have two projectors in the back of my car so i'm ready to rock anytime i need to speak anywhere um my biggest nightmare is someone saying oh we don't have a projector we don't have a screen i have a projector and screen in my car 24 7 so when oh, i speak man. locally i'll set up my own setup and people are like, you'll do it yourself. I'm like, yeah, uh, I have 30 minutes of those people's times. I'm going to make sure I, and I capture everybody's email. Uh, the way I do that, it's going to sound old school, but um, I've been doing this for a long time. I actually have a, a, a poster board, like a board, and you type, you put in your email. So, because a lot of people show up at the live event that didn't register because I tell people bring a friend, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll actually ask them to fill out a form and then I'll get like 100%, 90%. Uh, closure ratio and then i'll put it into the computer oh man that is beautiful i love it i love it the projector in the car is crazy <laughs> i i'm working to that level um well i do a lot of I, I do i mean you know to do 2000 like i do a lot of at bats so i get offered a lot of things that if someone wants me to speak i think you know the answer i, I was like yes where when <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm, I'm just showing up and I think one area that is going to help me a lot because just the relationships I've been building is like co-working spaces. Like they want to get into podcasting. They want to have podcast spaces within their co-working space so they can rent that out too. So they're looking for experts. Um, and being here in Seattle is really kind of an advantage for me because in the area, I'm one of the most well-known podcasters. So I want to use those co-working spaces for those events and then just put all my content on the whiteboard. Like for me, that's more than enough. It works every single time. Um, but I, I do think, man, this is the one of the best ways that I think is almost not undiscovered. But I think there should be a plan for podcasters on how to use an event to grow their show because I've done it and it, it helps me tremendously. Yeah, the, the one thing I didn't say is I have a structure for all my events. Um, let's say the start time is 3 o'clock. I always start it 15 minutes later than whatever I publish because I want people to get to know each other. So I'll start introducing um, my audience to one another. It's important for me for them to connect. Then I'll start the meeting, and my structure is very similar. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's what we're about to talk about. And then uh, for me, I do educational events. So remember, it's not around the podcast, but if it was, if my podcast was a how-to, it would literally be like, here's our guest speaker, you know, uh, they would teach. And then after I would have, if 
always have everybody introduce themselves 10 seconds or less tell us who you are what brought you out and then speaker and then after we just ask um, that people hang out and connect so i know i've done a good job when people don't leave right away when the event is done right that's that's a good sign (laughs) another question i have and i know this is a question you probably get all the time when should you start charging for events because I know the free model is going to get a lot of people in the door, but I know a lot of other people are like, look, I pay for this event. I pay for food. Like I'm putting money into this. When can I start charging people to make some money on these tickets? So let's say you're at a library. They don't, most of them, it depends on the city and who's managing the library. Some of them will let you charge. Some don't. So what I, what I, what I did in the beginning, cause I started like free for a week or two and then like, I got to get paid. So then I started charging five bucks, which wasn't much for the meetups. But what I do is um, let's say you you're worried that you're not providing enough value. Cause that's what a beginner would be like in the beginning, they would be worried. So what I did in the beginning, when I was starting, I put um, suggested contribution. So then they feel bad that they don't contribute and they just throw money down on the table in the bucket or whatever you have collecting. I don't believe that you should collect your own money. So that's like a, a positioning thing. So I would rather you have like a place where they, the like a collection basket almost like in church or a person helping you a friend like hey can you come out and work the front door for me um because people like i said they value everything they see in the beginning and i used to be the everything to everybody so immediately once i built my community i would find a volunteer was like hey can you help me when i do the i'll just do the call to action you're the one that collects the money they were happy to do it you know Mm. so um, that's if you're collecting money on site, if it's on Eventbrite, they have to prepay, prepay. That's great. Um, what I would say is if you're worried about money collection, you have to set a value to what you're providing. So let's say, I don't know, you see, it's a $20 ticket, like in Seattle, what's 20 bucks, right? It's a big city, 20 bucks, not much. Um, but I would say in the definition, I would say, Hey, we understand that everybody goes through different things. If for whatever reason, um, right now whatever the price is you need assistance email us we never want to let money stand in the way from someone get the getting this information so honestly everybody winds up paying and very few people ask for that but you 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 leave that as an open for the people that that are can't afford it or choose not to oh man i love that i think that's really valuable because even then if somebody can't pay the 20 bucks they're going to reach out to you and say hey look I need help with this. And that's another opportunity to build that relationship on a deeper level. You know, if they can only pay 10 or something like that, you know, or you help them out with parking or something like, I think that those little, those little, just a handout to kind of help them up. I think that's really, really valuable long-term for your brand. And I think that goes in a presentation as well. So man, you got some really good strategies here, man. Well, you know what? interesting chris most of the time i'll be honest with you if you're charging like low-end dollars like that people have the money they just choose not to give it to you i've had to come to that conclusion however what you're saying is true sometimes they just want to know that someone cares about them like that's the what it comes down to it's not even the money they just want to know that you care about them and it also sends a message to everybody else in the group that does have money like you care um and and like i'm very intentional so these aren't like marketing ploys these are situations I've been through after 2000 times you see like all kinds of situations. Um, but I always, I always tell people upfront when we're doing our events, what's expected of them. And I think 
if I were to leave you like a really good tip for any event, set the expectations up front because people will rise up to the expectations you set for them and they'll act accordingly. Um, so because I was doing a lot of meetups, I don't know if you've ever been to meetups, but a lot of meetups are yeah. just like literally where people meet up at a bar and they just like have conversations and mine's more of an educational meetup. So I set the expectation up front, like, Hey guys, we're here to learn. Here's our structure. When you want to ask questions at the end, we'll have more than enough time for everybody to interact with each other. But in the process of this hour, this is what we're doing. And the cool part is, man, everybody just, uh, everybody just supports each other. And, um, and I always let them know like, Hey, we're in a group. Therefore we have to act uh, uh, in respect to the group. So that way you don't have that one person that just decides to talk in the middle of the presenter. Um, it's, it's really, um, <laughs> it's really exacerbated when the group's only 10 people. Cause it's like, everybody could hear it. <laughs> like, not only right. can you hear them, you know exactly what they're all talking about. Cause it's only <laughs> two people. So I've, I've been through all that. Once you set the frame, I would say that's the most important thing about promotions is you have to set the frame and the expectations. And then the, the second most important thing is if you know, you have eight people showing up, only set up eight chairs. Like um, most people overset up a room and the first thing that happens in the attendee's head is, oh, I guess he was he or she was expecting more and this mm. event wasn't a success. So that's a marketing thing. I used to have to fight my team all the time because we would set up. <laughs> we had this thing called the main event and it would attract anywhere from 60 to 110 people on average every once a month. And I would tell them I only want 60 chairs set up unless I knew it was a hot promotion, right? And they would be like, no, we're going to set up 90 because just in case. I'm like, no, 60. And then they literally for a full year, I would take down 30 extra chairs and pile them up in the back. And I'd be in full suit, tie, the whole deal. I'm dealing with business people. Eventually, they understood, like, that's not a negotiable rule for me. Like, I'm not setting up 100 people and 50 people show up. And then they go back and the pictures look empty and they go back, tell everybody, yeah, I was okay. Meanwhile, you might have the best speaker in the world. They're judging the chairs. It's the weirdest thing, but it's it's a very true thing in promotions. Always under set up your room. That sounds like a, a psychology thing, you know, like, yeah, you can have 50 people coming, but just set up 30 chairs. So then it's better to go out and have to set up more chairs and make more room for people because now in their mind as a guest, they're like, wow, this is a hot spot. I got one of the last chairs. Like that's much better than, because one thing I noticed too with my, with our generation, younger people, they're like, well, I want to put this on Instagram. So at the event, they're going to be doing this on their phone. So you want the room to look full. You want it to look good. It has to be Instagrammable. Like that's the word. Like, and I think that's why presentation is important as well, because I know I want people to come to this event and take pictures and use the hashtag. Like that is, man, it's super valuable. Um, I, I just, I really think events is another avenue podcasters should be looking into because it's long-term. I think it can do a lot for your brand. In the beginning, you might have five people, but like you said, that's where you started and now you have thousands. Yeah. You, you could even have like, um, yeah, the, the other thing that I'll tell you, you never know who's in the room. So I run the Florida podcast association. So that's a group of peers, other podcasters. And, um, one time I was consulting on the family friendly niche of Apple. I had a client that I was discussing about, Hey, you should, he want to do something with his kid. He was a friend of mine. So I said, Hey, you should really do the kid friendly joke of the day. And he goes, why is that? I go, cause humor is the number one niche. Everybody listens to comedy podcasts, but there's nothing for children. So I said, it's going to hit. This was a few years back. 
he came back and he said, I'm going to call my show the Bodaciously Awesome Family or something. And I go, dude, no one could uh, spell bodacious. And I had three <laughs> friends of mine in a room. We all tried to spell it. All three of us misspelled it differently. So I said to him, I said to him, good luck with that. But it's going to be tough for people to find it because you can't spell the name. Comes back a month later. He's got like a couple hundred people listening per show. And I was like, holy crap. What it told me was there was not enough content in that niche uh, on Apple's category. So I told Katie, my wife, and I was bitching to her. I go, I gave this guy the million dollar idea, the kid friendly joke of the day, and he didn't do anything with it. And she goes, well, why don't you do it? And I, I use the excuse, I don't have time. I'm a busy person, you know, my ego. So, which is technically true, right? All of us could say we don't have time. She goes, when have you ever let that? My wife's like a really good, like Yoda for me. She goes, when have you ever let that limiting belief stop you? Mm. And I go, okay, good point. What do, you, what do you mean? She goes, well, you know, a lot of people, why don't you figure out how to partner with someone or scale it out? You'll figure it out. So I, I wound up that two days later, I had my meeting at my Florida podcast meeting. We have a comedian. None of his jokes work, except if you were three to five years old. He does all these dad jokes. So I said to him, I said, would you like to uh, write jokes and record them for my podcast? He goes, what's it called? I go, it's called the kid-friendly joke of the day. He goes, sure. So uh, we signed a contract. He so I produce all the shows. He's, he, he's the creative director. We now have the largest network of shows for children. It's called the kid-friendly network. We have joke of the day. Uh, geography, we have dinosaur fun facts, we have Disney fun facts, we have uh, animal fun facts. Literally, we have seven shows. You'll never see me promote it because it, it just, it works. People download them, people get them all over the world. Um, and we get to teach people all kinds of stuff. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Oh, man, that is amazing. And see, this is why I want to have you on the show, because I just know you have so much information and a lot of podcasters need that right now. One thing that I want to do with this show is really make it normal, even more normal for podcasters to invest in themselves and their training and their growth as a host so that they can get the results they want. Because I think the problem we have right now in podcasting is a lot of hosts aren't yet comfortable with, okay, I'm going to invest and pay this money to learn how to be better interviews, or I'm going to invest in better equipment. You know, it's normal for YouTube. It's normal for all the other stuff, but it's not normal for podcasting just yet. We're still getting there. Um, but I think as this platform grows, that that's something that is going to change. Well, when I, so to dovetail into what you're saying, when I started the Kid Friendly Network, the number one question business people would ask me, do you make any money on it yet? Do you make any money on it yet? I'm like, no, I don't, but I will. They're like, are you so sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm very sure about it. I just got to wait my time. Two years later, now it's monetized. We have ads on it. You know, there's a lot of downloads. But um, there is this mentality, um, and it may be because we haven't grown yet, because YouTube's been around for quite some time. Now that a lot of the monetization is really flying into the podcast industry, people are investing. But I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Invest before you have to, because that's when you have the strategic advantage um, where you're doing better and you're learning. Um, my wife, My wife is like, I really honor and, and, and love my wife because she's always invested in herself and it shows up, it shows up in, um, it shows up in like financial numbers, believe it or not, maybe not right away, but it shows up because you're doing the hard work that most people wouldn't do it shows up yeah. in the download numbers. Eventually that translates to money. Man, exactly. And you hear it, people, that's, that's where you got to get started. So Chris, thank you so much for being on. Uh, what website do you send all your traffic to? Where should people find you? 
Uh, yeah, I know we have so much we talked about. So uh, there is one, chriskremitzos.com that has all my projects. But if you want to get involved in podcasting, I would go to Podfest Expo, dot online, video, vidfest, uh, expo.com. We have a lot of different sites. So just find me on social media. Let me know how I could help. I'm on Facebook on, on all the platforms, but most active on Facebook. All right, man. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Chris. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Kevin Hunt is one half of a great podcast called Hanson and Hunt on MPN. Kevin, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Hanson and Hunt is a place for marketers and communicators for brands, companies, and organizations of all kinds to stay on top of industry news and trends. Eric Hanson and I discuss things that make them think, things that help them do their jobs better, things that help them hopefully show up smarter with the boss. We are a monthly show and we've been at it since 2014. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Their preferred podcast app, of course, or head to hansonandhunt.com or follow our show at marketingpodcast.net. You heard him, folks. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.